You can open up to John chapter 14. Uh, Today we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3. Uh, As I said before, uh, as we go through the the upper room discourse, uh, we're really going to break apart what Jesus is saying, and mostly too because he's trans transitioning from subject to subject and theme to theme, uh, sometimes pretty quickly, uh, like in this case. So last week we had the warning sermon. Um, This week is a very, very different tone. Uh, This is one of encouragement, uh, one of hope. And I I really hope that uh, you can get from this passage what uh, God gave to me this entire week. Uh, So we're going to be looking at John 14, verses 1 through 3. Hope for troubled hearts. Some experts claim that the idea that the epidemic of anxiety and depression among youth is simply just a myth that it doesn't exist. However, a new analysis of a large representative survey shows that that epidemic is real and it is nothing short of staggering. The National Survey on Drug Use and Health surveyed over 600,000 American youth and young adults and the results are startling, they said. From 2009 to 2017, major depression among 20 to 21-year-olds more than doubled doubled, rising from 7% to 15%. Depression surged 69% among 16 to 17-year-olds, 69%. Serious psychological distress, which includes anxiety, hopelessness, jumped 71% in 18 to 25-year-olds from the years 2008 to 2017, Twice as many 22 to 23-year-olds attempted suicide in 2017. By 2017, so most of the studies found that it's more pronounced among girls and young women. One out of five 12 to 17-year-olds girls had experienced major depression in the previous year by 2017. The, the statistics can go on and on and on, and I, I want you to note that 2019 was the last year, or 2017, maybe 2019 was mentioned, was the last year, right? We know what has happened since then, right? A, a global pandemic. And we know that that has only gotten worse. So what about adults, right? Maybe we can say, Well, that's for the youth, right? They get through that stage and then they're okay. What about adults? It's the same. It's only increased. It's only gotten worse. Would you say that these individuals have troubled hearts? Sure. Absolutely. And it's only gotten worse the past few years because of the pandemic. Now, we may look at those statistics and we say, well, we have the answer, right? We're believers. That doesn't happen to believers, right? That, that's for unbelievers. We, we have God. We have Jesus Christ. And unbelievers don't struggle with anxiety and depression. And we say that to people's hurt. If we begin to think 
that Christians can experience a troubled heart and anxiety, depression, we need to think again. We're not immune to such thoughts and feelings. As a matter of fact, Jesus talks about them here in this passage. And I want to say something before I continue today. The answers that are given today, the, what we're going to talk about, I don't want anyone to think that because we have these answers, that medicine and counseling and things like that are unacceptable for the Christian. That is the furthest thing from the truth. God gives us those things as a blessing and as a help. And we have to understand that sometimes the, 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 our own hearts know its own trouble, right? We don't understand what people are going through. We don't understand how difficult that may be. We have no idea. So if we can get help from medicine or from counseling, then please, by all means, do that. However, what we're going to talk about today forms the foundation of everything else that it is built upon. Because it is ultimately this foundation that we're going to talk about today that, that, that is what is going to sustain us through all of this trouble. That is what is going to ultimately, in the end, heal us and give us a hope that we need to get through the troubled times in our lives. The diagnosis for the disciples is a troubled heart. We're going to look at three prescriptions today. The first one is, is, the, is the base prescription, and the other two we can call supplements. So let's look at it that way. So you need the first one uh, without a doubt. The other two are supplemental that kind of flow from that first one that we're going to take. So the first one that we're going to talk about today is keep trusting in Jesus, verse 1. So remember, Jesus just talked about his departure Peter wants to change that. That cannot change. Now Jesus addresses his disciples. And this is what he says to them regarding his departure. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Uh, I had uh, a friend of mine share with me a, a really funny uh, video of Bob Newhart. I'm not sure if you've ever watched Bob Newhart. Some of the young folks are like, Bob who? And you're like, okay, Bob Newhart. I grew up watching Bob Newhart, really, really funny. If you get a chance to watch this video, it's just absolutely hysterical. So Bob Newhart is acting as a counselor, right? And this, this, he's a counselor, and the woman comes in, and he begins to explain how this counseling uh, job that he has operates. Uh, I'm not sure if I'll get all of it right, uh, but he says, okay, I'm going to let you talk for five minutes, and I charge a dollar per minute. And he goes, I don't take cash. I mean, I don't take, I don't take checks or credit card or anything like that. I take cash only, and I don't make change. So she's, she's all excited, right? I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good deal for a counselor. But she's kind of confused, and she says, what if I go beyond the five minutes? And he goes, we usually find that that doesn't happen. And she's like, okay. So she's already, she starts sharing her anxiety. She has this anxiety, this fear of being buried alive in a box. So she says everywhere she goes, she's taking this fear with her and she's thinking someone's going to bury her alive in a box. Not, not a fun way to live, right? 
And actually, she says, I got this fear of just all things boxy, as she says this in an office room, which is very, very boxy. I started thinking that was pretty, pretty funny. So he's, he's listening, and he goes, okay, so you have claustrophobia. Yeah, yeah, something like that. He goes, well, that's, that's not fun. No one wants to have this fear of being very alive in a box. So, so if that's Bob, just tell him. I'll call him back in a second. So, so he, he's, he's talking to her, and then he says, okay, I'm going to give you two words. He goes, I want you to remember these words, and I want you to take them with you. And every time that fear and that anxiety comes out, I want you to apply these words. You know what the two words were? Stop it. He starts yelling at her, just stop it. Why would you want to live your life being buried in a box? And her face is like going crazy. And then she looks at him. She goes, I don't understand. And he goes, you know, it's funny. Every time I say that to people, people say the same thing you do. He goes, stop it, S-T-O-P, new word, I-T, stop it. And she, of course, gets just flabbergasted at this methodology. Uh, now, now, with sin sometimes, right, I think we need to say that to people. Hey, if sin is causing you a bunch of grief and struggles in your life, you probably should what? Stop it, right? Just, just stop it. But is that what Jesus is saying here? Because we can come to this passage and we can often, as Christians, quote passages just like this, right? Oh, you're anxious? Don't let your heart be troubled. Jesus, it's a command, right? Shouldn't we obey the command? How about Jesus, uh, God, uh, Paul says, be anxious for nothing, right? Just be anxious for nothing. That's okay. There, take one of those and call me in the morning. Is that what Jesus is saying? Is that what he's saying when he says, don't let your heart be troubled here? And, and is Jesus a hypocrite? Because wasn't his heart troubled just a few verses earlier? Yes, it was. It was troubled at Judas when he learned that Judas was, when, when he knew Judas was about to betray him. When, when, else, when else was Jesus's heart troubled? It was troubled at the tomb of Lazarus. So what is going on here? Why is Jesus telling his disciples not to have a troubled heart when Jesus himself had a troubled heart? Well, we have to look at this idea of troubled and what it means to be troubled. Uh, first off, the one with Judas, the troubling was resolved when Judas leaves. We know that Jesus actually calms down because he begins to do what? Engage his disciples again and teach them. So that troubling was for a period of time. And that troubling was because it was a real troubling. Jesus, Jesus was upset that his friend, the one he ate meals with, when he shared life with, is now going to betray him. And Jesus is about to go to the cross. How about with Lazarus? Well, actually, it's interesting because the troubling of Jesus' heart with the Lazarus part is Jesus actually does that to his own heart. He actually troubles himself. And folks, that lesson it means that we, there are things in life that should bother us, that we should actually get upset over them, and death is one of them. Death is an enemy. We hate death. But it is a troubling that we cannot let continue. So this troubling means to get agitated, it means to get anxious, it means to get stirred up, and it means to get confused. The troubling for the disciples is there. He, he recognizes it's there. Why is it there? because he just told them he's going to leave. Things are going to change. Things are going to be different. I'm no longer going to be with you in this fashion. Therefore, their hearts are troubled. 
The troubling is caused by a circumstance that is outside their control. They can't change it, can they? And the troubling that Jesus is commanding us not to engage in is a continuous action. This is a practice. It's a habit. That is what he is saying. Don't allow an outside circumstance that is beyond your control to continually trouble you. If you can't change it, what's the worry going to do? What's the anxiety going to do? And I think it's pretty key because sometimes we allow ourselves to continue to suffer or be in anxious situations, and we can actually change that. He's not saying, if you, if you can change the circumstance, go by all means, change the circumstance, do what you can. But here's a circumstance that, matter of fact, Jesus is leaving needs to happen. It's part of God's will for the, his life and the life of the disciples. Can you imagine? Now, li- listen to what he says. He doesn't just say that. He doesn't just give that answer, don't let your heart be troubled. He actually gives the main reason behind that. What does he say? Trust in me. Trust in me. I don't believe that Jesus is saying trust in God and him. As a matter of fact, I think it should be uh, translated, you already believe in God. That same trust that you have in God, that belief that you have in God, now you need to place in me. Because Jesus is the one giving them the troubling news. They're troubled by what he said. They're upset. They're anxious about what he said. So, so there you go. Just keep trusting in Jesus, right? Amen. We can all head outside. We're all good with that, right? That's just the answer we give. Don't be troubled. So we add on now to that little prescription. Why are you troubled? Just trust. Okay, thank you. God bless you. Have a good day. That's what we like to say to people. Well, why is he telling them, why is he telling the disciples who we know already believe to trust in him? It kind of doesn't make sense, right? They already believe in him. What, does, what is he saying? You remember the, the Dora movie? What did she say? Keep swimming, right? Keep swimming, keep swimming, keep swimming, keep swimming. Well, ours is keep trusting. Keep trusting, keep trusting, keep trusting. This is in the present tense. It is an ongoing trust. This is a persevering trust. When our hearts get troubled, because it's, they're gonna, it's going to happen. You and I are going to have worry. We're going to have agitation. We're going to have anxiety in our lives. When that happens, keep leaning on Him. Keep trusting in Him. Keep remembering that he is with you. Wouldn't it have been different if Bob told that lady, hey, listen, I understand what you're going through. I want you to know I'm going to walk with you through this. I'm going to be there with you. And every time you have that fear, every time you have that anxiety, you can turn right to me. You can turn to me, you can talk to me, you can cry to me, and you can lean on me. I had a troubling week, troubling couple of weeks for my heart. Some of the toughest weeks that, that I can remember. I called a friend and just, yeah, just spilled my guts to him. And they said this before they knew what I was going to preach on. Keep leaning on him. What does that mean? 
It means I'm not strong enough. It means he is. It means that I can't handle it, but it means that he can. It means that I can trust in his character. I can trust in his love. It means that I can take my eyes off of my circumstance and I can put them on my Savior. We don't understand. We don't know what he's doing. But this is a persevering faith. His love, his promises. And I think I've come to realize something. You know, over these past couple years, do you know what has happened in, 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 in my life and life of this church? We, we've realized the people that we can lean on, haven't we? We've realized that we need each other. We realize the people that we can trust. We realize the people that we can come to, count on. How did that happen? Because of the circumstances. We wouldn't have discovered that. It's the same thing with Jesus. I heard a really good video this past week about everything that's going on with the pandemic and, and how people are losing what? Hope. And the guy says, what is God doing? Maybe he's taking all of these things away from us so that we can see he's enough. And he says, that's the question we need to ask ourselves. Is Jesus enough? When everything else is in disarray, when everything else is crazy, is, is Jesus Christ enough? And Jesus actually wants us to see that because we cannot handle the trial. You know, we, we say the verse, and I, 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 or the, the thought, and I think I've quoted it myself, and I, I don't know if I've been taken out of context, but we, we say, you know, God's not going to give us more than we can bear, but that's in regards to the temptation, right? And he's going to do what? Provide a way out. I want you to listen to what Paul says about that. Listen to 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9. Paul doesn't want us to be uninformed about the troubles that he experienced in the province of Asia. He says this, we were under great pressure. How much pressure, Paul? We were under so much pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. What does he say? We want to check out. I'm done. I can't deal with it. It's, it's too much. Indeed, we felt that we have actually received the sentence of death. Why did this happen, Paul? He gives a reason. This happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. How do we know that he can bear us up unless we go through a time that we can't handle ourselves? This is a growing faith. That's what's happening. The disciples have trusted in his teaching. 
Now they're learning to trust in His person, who He is, that He can sustain them in the hardest of times, that He can hold them up no matter what difficulty they're facing, that He's not going to leave them. Pastor Dave sums it up so nicely in his book. He says, we are growing to trust in Him. Because we don't, how many people trust Him 100% every day of their lives right now? We, we may trust Him for our salvation, right? But I'll tell you what, no, by no means. When do, when do I turn to Him? When, when I need something, right? When bad things are happening. When things are going good, I'm like, yeah, good job, Mark. You're awesome. We forget. He says we are growing to trust in Him. We, we, we learn to trust His love, not just His doctrine, His character, not just His teaching. And we trust. We trust that He'll never let us down, even when we have absolutely no idea how He holds us up. You ever make it through something and then you're, like, you're looking back and you're like, how did that happen? Him. Him. It's the only way. This is faith. This is walking with Jesus Christ. We can let go of all the trouble because we can know that He's holding on to us. Keep trusting. Keep leaning on Him. He knows what trouble's all about. And He has the power to uphold you during a time when you think you're done for. This is the foundational help for a troubled heart. And it's further explained by the truth that follows. So if we're, we wanted to break this down, the first part is His person. The second two parts are His promises. Or the first part is trust. The second part is truth, however you kind of want to. Uh, but the, the second part is understanding the hope that He gives us. So it's hope in Him, it's faith in Him, but it's also knowing the truth of what is going to happen. Know He is preparing your place, verse 2. He says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go and I prepare a place for you. So again, this past, this past week when, uh, or two weeks ago, when my daughter went away to camp, I think I shared that with you, and God gave me another illustration. This time I wasn't an idiot, so the other illustration had to do with the cabinet. I ended up being an idiot, trying to fix things, make it work for myself. This is actually a better one, so I wasn't an idiot in this one, um, but it, it provided me with, with an illustration as I was, uh, I was thinking about this text. So this text had been in my mind. I knew it was fast approaching. I was very excited to preach this text. It's a very, very comforting text. Um, it's one that's preached a lot at funerals, and I think rightfully so. Um, so I was thinking about this text, and one of my other projects was to install a light. So this one I didn't mess up. I followed all the directions, and every, everything worked out. And I was, I was thinking about the text, and I'm, I'm thinking about the light, and I'm thinking about my daughter. So a day was away for a week, and 
the whole room renovation was, was a surprise. Uh, she knew that we were going to paint it, or I say we, it's really Sarah, right? Like I said, I did minimal. But uh, so she knew Sarah was going to paint her room, but she had no idea it was going to be a, full, uh, a full-blown renovation, right? So we, we wallpaper and new, new decor and the new cabin, new bookshelf and the light and all this stuff. So, so I'm sitting, we're sitting there doing that, and I was thinking to myself how much a day was going to love this room. And I am doing this because I am preparing this room for her, with, with her in mind. And all of a sudden, this passage just came off the pages. And I said, wow, I said, is that, is that what's happening? Is, is the Lord Jesus Christ possibly up there preparing our heavenly home and saying, man alive, they're going to love this. I can't wait for them to see this. And I just started thinking about how, how wonderful that is. And what Jesus says here is, is so important when our hearts are troubled. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, I want to tell you something. I'm going away. This is going to disturb you for a period of time. But guess what? I have a plan for you. And guess what? I have a place for you. And no matter what you are going to face in this life, no matter what, what troubles may come your way, no matter how anxious your heart may get, how sad or depressed your heart may get, you have a place and no one is going to take that away from you. That's your home. That's your home. Isn't that what it's all about? It's an eternal perspective. He fixes their attention, not on the present, but on the future. He says, this is where you are going to be. I guarantee it. How does he guarantee it? Well, listen to what he says. In my father's house, there are many mansions, or, or, or in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. That's where he guarantees it. He says, hey, listen, I want you to be assured of something. And if it weren't the case, I would have told you differently. I would have told you otherwise. There is a room, there's enough room for, for all of you. And that is what I, where I'm going right now. I'm going to prepare a place for you individually with you in mind. One day where you can rest from all your troubles and all your worries and all your heartaches. It's an eternal perspective that no matter what happens to us here on earth, nothing's going to affect our heavenly home. That's the hope we have, right? This isn't it. If this were it, we'd be miserable, right? I mean, if this is it, let's go. Let's go out. Do something. Let's just party. It's not it. So whatever happens here, it's not going to change that reality. He wants you to focus on the truth. 
And as my wife always rightfully says, our feelings are not the truth, are they? They're not. They may feel really true, right? I felt a lot of things this past week. And God bless all my friends who have listened to me just ah, feel, 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 feel. It's not true. This is the reality. And I think, I think one of the, the biggest things that is happening in Christianity today is we're not talking about heaven enough. We're not talking about it enough. I think we are so focused on our earthly homes. And, and, and sometimes, right, we're, we're putting more into our earthly homes than our heavenly homes. And we're the worst for it. And I think we're ashamed, and we're going to talk about how people just spiritualize this text, which I, can, I, I just blows my mind why we would want to do that. But I think we're ashamed to talk about this. I think people, we're going to think people think we're freaks. Oh, that's a nice little fairy tale, right? You get to escape life for a period of time. You got this little mansion. Oh, aren't you special? And we're afraid to think about that. We're afraid to say that. But I, we should be screaming this from the rooftops, why are you working so hard for this home? Think about this one. And, and when we think about our homes, right, we only get here on earth, we just get more depressed anyway, right? Because we're comparing them with other people's houses. You just look around, we're like, oh, this renovation. Jesus has got ours. It's interesting because early church fathers and, and, and the Jews, I think rightfully so, believed that these homes, these compartments or they're like, it's like a heavenly condo. You can kind of, I got a little, I don't think it's what this, it looks like this, but if you get an idea, right? It's a big, <laughs> of course you go to a castle. Come on, it's heaven, right? So I, they, they believe that these homes, these rooms corresponded to our reward and our service. Now, that, maybe that doesn't excite you. Maybe that depresses you and you're like, okay, excuse me, I got to go. and go feed the poor or something. But they, that's what he's saying, you know, so... If that's the case, right, then we got a lot to think about. We have a lot to understand that he's giving us a hope, this permanent home, and what we do here for his kingdom affects that. So are we sending him the materials? I don't know. It's a possibility. But the idea of preparation was, was the idea of someone preparing for a visit. It's like if, you're, if your kid's coming back from college and they're going to spend a long period of time in the basement, right? You're going to get that basement nice and ready for them. So they're, you're preparing them for, this, for the stay with that person in mind. Everyone can relate to what it's like to clean up house when someone comes, right? When someone comes and visits to our house, I've learned things that I never knew existed that needed cleaning before, right? My wife cleans things and she's like, you know, blowtorch, just sanitizing. I'm like, this is a guy coming. They're not. They ain't looking at that. Oh, I mean, what, what are you doing? They're not cleaning that up, you know. But that's what she does. She, you know, and I help. I do. I'll put things away sometimes. You know, but I ain't cleaning like that. I mean, under toilets. I'm like, you what are they going to go on? I don't know, man. I was thinking, everything's clean. Why? Because they, they're, she's preparing it for them. She's preparing the house. That's what Jesus is doing. He's actively preparing this, but it's more than that. He wants us to think about it. He wants us to, uh, to remind ourselves of this truth. I want you to 
ask yourself this question. How do your heart feel right now thinking about your heavenly home? Is it a little lighter? Yeah, I hope so, <laughs> right? I started thinking about this the entire week, and, and I'm like, wow, it, it helps. This truth helps. That's what it's there for. It's here to remind us that we have a home and individual dwelling place where he's thinking about you and me, that he has gone there to prepare that. That's what he's telling his disciples. A place that you and I can find an eternal rest. These, these aren't temporary dwelling places. It's a permanent home. It has your name on it. And one day, this stay here is just going to look like one bad night in a hotel. We're going to forget all about that trouble. He wants you to keep trusting in Him. Know that He is doing this for you. And we have this home, and guess what? He's going to come and take you home. He's coming back to pick you up. Verse 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Before we really get into this last point, I said before, people interpret this spiritually. So you may look at that and see commentators or commentaries that talk about that Jesus is actually talking about to the coming of the Holy Spirit and when his father and he come and make their home in the hearts of the disciples, right? So they take the word home, uh, adobe in the, other, in the other section, just a few verses from here. It's the same root as the word for father's house, mansions, or come and make my room. So he's they're thinking that, no, this is what, and it made me really mad when I read that. Like, I read a whole article on why Jesus is not talking about some heavenly place. And they do go to the text, and they do go to the context, right? In my class, we've been talking about going to the context. and But I think they've missed the immediate context. And there's a few things that happen in the passages that we're going to talk about with the Holy Spirit. Uh, number one, his disciples are concerned that he, because he's leaving physically. He's leaving physically. They, they probably want to know, what do they need to hear right now? They need to hear they're going to see him again physically. They're going to be with him again physically. Now, the Holy Spirit is the great comforter, and we are extremely blessed and grateful that God has come and made his home in us through his Holy Spirit. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. And the, the coming and receiving corresponds to the going and the preparing. And notice in the other verses, if you just glance over, right, when he comes to them in the Holy Spirit, he, he actually comes to them. And he doesn't say what he says in this passage, that where I am, you may be also, right? That's the key. Where's Jesus going? He's going to heaven. He's ascending into heaven. And one day he is promising to come back and take them 
with him. Now, granted, the disciples are with him now, but what is he talking about? The rapture, physically. Isn't, isn't that the hope of the Christian? Isn't the hope of the Christian that the one that we love, that we cannot see, that we are going to see again and be with for all eternity? That's our hope. This is what they needed to hear at this time. And I believe Jesus shares that with them. I remember, I might have shared this before, the memory of this is just burned into my brain. And even when I think about it now, I get a little PTSD. So growing up, probably not to many of your your surprise, uh, I was a mama's boy. Still kind of am a little mama's boy. Right? Where mom was, I went. As a matter of fact, she called me her little shadow. There I was, just kind of following her around. Shaq, I think it drove her mad. I was even vacuuming. I remember following her around just all the time. Just this big, fat mama's boy. I felt safe with my mom. Felt reassured by my mom. So, all of that considering, right? Then comes kindergarten. You know what kindergarten is like for a mama's boy? That's death. That is like the worst thing that can ever happen to a mama's boy. You want to you do what? You want to put me with some weird people? I have no idea. And you're going to do what? You're going to leave me here for a period of time? I can't remember my first day of kindergarten. I think I blocked it out of my brain completely. I think it was so traumatic for me. God was like, you can never remember this moment as long as you live. So, so kindergarten was absolutely devastating to me as a mama's boy, right? Devastating, trauma, real trauma. That was, that was just the beginning. Because you know what happened one day at kindergarten? So, kindergarten being bad enough. My mom was always consistent, right? That's something mama's boys need, right? Consistency. Because when that consistency is broken, tears, right? We're, we're upset. She was faithful and she was, she was never late at all. Guess what happened at kindergarten? Oh, yeah. So, let me, now to a five-year-old boy who doesn't want to be there in the first place with some lady he could absolutely care less about, and he doesn't know any better from a hole in the wall, right, this was, this was the end of me. This was absolutely devastating. This is exactly probably what I looked like. I was an absolute blobbering mess. And I start thinking, what, five, I'm a, what, five-year-old, six-year-old boy? I start thinking, what if I did something wrong? And then I'm like, no, there's no if about it. Because uh, I was doing things wrong all the time, right? So I'm like, did they, did they pack up and move? Did they see this as their, I'm like, all right, that kid's gone. He's out of my hair. We're going to Florida. We're done, right? And I'm like, or, you know, what happened? Did, did she get into a car accident? Now, this was before what? Cell phones, no FaceTime. I could not text. I could not do anything like that. I just had to wait, not knowing. What do you think happened to my little heart? Troubled. You better believe it. No consolation could calm that little boy down. I just wanted to know something. Was my mom coming? Am I going to see her again? Of course I made it. I'm okay. And Well, yeah, it's debatable. And I remind my mom to this day, 
she, you could just call my mom. She'd be like, hey, do you remember the time Mark, you left Mark when you were late? And she'll say, yes, he never lets me forget that time. Because it's PTSD. There are, these guys, the, Jesus is leaving them. They love him. They don't want to be apart from him. They're going to miss him. They want to know. Are we going to see you again? Are you going to come back? And that's what he's saying. It, pretty much he's saying, I'm on my way. As soon as he leaves, he's kind of saying he's on his way. Listen, listen to how he phrases it, right? So the, the, the going and the preparing parallel to the coming and the receiving. We would think, we would think that the both would be in the future tense, right? I, I am coming or I will come, future tense. And receive, future tense, right? Nope. Guess what? Receiving is in the future tense because it hasn't happened yet. The coming is in the present tense. What's that mean? I am on my way. Or I am definitely coming. He says it in the present tense so that you and I can be assured that we are going to see our Savior face to face again. No matter what the trouble is, no matter what we face, he is going to take you home. That's what he's saying. That's what they need to hear. If it was spiritual, he'd just be like, oh, I'll be back in three days. Right? He's just like, wouldn't you just say that? I'll be back in three days. What's he talking about? He's talking about the rapture. This is the hope of the Christian. This is, this is why we do what we do, right? We believe in him who we cannot see. We love him. And we are waiting for him to take us home one day out of this world of trouble. That's what he wants them to know. I am not going to leave you here permanently. I am coming to get you and to take you out of this mess for all eternity. That's what Paul says to Titus. As we walk this earth, as we strive to live lives that are pleasing to him, we are doing what? Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. That's the hope we have. That's the encouragement we need when our hearts are weighed down with all of these burdens. That one day, you're going to see the one that you've been leaning on, that you've been trusting in, Face to face. And all that trouble can be like a bad dream that you just woke up from. Paul says it to the Thessalonians. And this is what Jesus is talking about. For the Lord Himself, personally, He'll come down from heaven, the, the loud command and the voice of an archangel, the trumpet and the call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive are left and will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. I will receive you to myself. And we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, do what? Comfort, encourage 
one another with these words. He's on his way, folks. He's coming to get you. And as awesome as our heavenly homes are going to be, it's not as awesome as who will be there. We'll be with all the loved ones that have gone before us. We'll be with each other. I hope I get a room next to you so I can annoy you for all eternity. But most importantly, we're going to be with Him. And all those troubles, all our anxiety, all our sadness will be gone. I hope that this message has helped. And I hope that we see something. That when we fix our eyes on Him, when we have a fixed faith, one that keeps trusting in Him, one that keeps focusing on Him, one that keeps leaning and praying and and crying out to Him, and one that believes and holds on to the truths that He gives us today, that's the antidote to a troubled heart. That's the shot that we need. So that we're not distracted. Knowing that He hasn't left us alone. Knowing that He is with us, guiding us through all of this. Knowing that He has a plan for our future knowing He's preparing a permanent home for you where one day we can put up our weary, tired feet and be with each other and be with Him for all eternity. No more troubles. No more worry. No more pain. Just joy and peace. Father, thank you for your truth. How three verses can minister to our hearts in such a deep and wonderful fashion. Help us, Lord, to constantly lean on you. I pray for each and every one here today. No matter what they are facing, that you would just minister to their hearts. You would remind them of your love. Remind them of your character. Encourage them. Fix their eyes upon you. And remind them of their heavenly home. Where one day they will be with you for all eternity. Lord, you've won. You've won. We can trust in that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.